Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, unwanted pets and relatives, it's Mr. Palumbo today. I hope you guys are all having a great day. Today we're going to talk about the Declaration of Independence. In my class, we do a uh, junior high, when I've had junior high, we've done an assignment where we literally take the text of the Declaration of Independence and we analyze it and we look up the words. What do they mean? And then the kids, it's called the Declaration of Independence in slang. And you guys, if you're actually in, if you're interested in this lesson, go to teacherpayteachers.com and you can purchase this lesson. Uh, it is available there. But anyway, in this lesson, they uh, have to look up the words of the Declaration and then they have to put them in new modern words, right? Modern terms are otherwise known as slang. And the kids have a good time with this. And so today I thought, what the heck? Why don't we do a quick podcast on the Declaration of Independence? You know, we all think we know what it says. And maybe we know some of the terms and some of the sentences and phrases involved. Obviously, our uh, current president, uh, he could use a little... Uh, refresher course on the declaration. Fight for the proposition that we hold these truths to be self-evident. Sounds corny. Not a joke. Think about it. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by go, you know the you know the thing. So do you know the thing that our president is referring to? I know the thing, so let's get into it and let's talk about the thing amongst other things in the Declaration of Independence. So first, a little bit of background. If you're going to study the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, for that matter, you need to know a little bit about the Enlightenment era. And you need to know a little bit about those philosophers during that time, right up until the American Revolution that influenced how men viewed government and the role of government. Now, there's two major Enlightenment philosophers I want you to remember. One is John Locke, and the other is Montesquieu. Okay, so John Locke, he's from England. Montesquieu is from France. Now, when you are studying the Declaration of Independence, you are going to want to know who John Locke is. That is a very Lockean-influenced document. When you get to the Constitution, you're going to want to know who Montesquieu is. He is a very, uh, the Constitution is a very Montesquieuian document. So let's get back to John Locke. So John Locke argued that you are born, humans are born with natural rights. These are rights that you're given upon being born, okay? These are rights that the government didn't give you. These are rights that God or nature's God or something above the government gave each and every person. And if the government tries to restrict these rights or take away these rights, it is the natural right of every man to resist. So this is probably sounding familiar already. And the other component to studying the Declaration of Independence is, of course, the historical background. And I'm reading from the history.gov website, the Office of the Historian. That's kind of cool. I didn't even know we had such a governmental post. And it reads, throughout the 1760s and early 1770s, the North American colonists found themselves increasingly at odds with British imperial policies regarding taxation and frontier policy. 
when repeated protests failed to influence British policies and instead resulting in closing of the port of Boston and the declaration of martial law in Massachusetts, the colonial government sent delegates to a Continental Congress to coordinate a colonial boycott of British goods. When fighting broke out between American colonists and British forces in Massachusetts, the Colonial Congress worked with local groups originally intended to enforce the boycott to coordinate resistance against the British. Now, one thing I want to share with you guys is uh, a lot of times the Parliament gets a boogeyman title when we tell this story, right? Those evil British. Uh, But let's look at some more historical background here. The British were trying to gain money or, or regain some funds from fighting the French-Indian War. That was a heck of a frontier and a border that the British had to maintain, and they simply wanted the colonists to pay their fair share of protection, right? The British were protecting the colonists. They're part of the empire, and uh, they were just like, hey, you know, we, we fought this war. We won. Now we own everything from Florida to Canada, and we need a little help, uh, you know, refunding the coffers, if you will. Now, the colonists' issue with this was you are passing these taxes without us having any representation in Parliament. So there was no colonial representative in London, you know, that was saying yay or nay to any of these policies. It was people that lived in Britain, right? They lived in Europe, and they were making the taxation policy for the colonialists. So this is like uh, Washington passing laws, right? People in Washington, D.C. passing laws that you had no representative to say yay or nay. And so that was the colonists' big bugaboo about all this. It's also important to note that uh, not all the colonists wanted to break away from Great Britain, and there was great pains taken to try to reconcile the differences. I mean, it wasn't a... Uh, everybody was this radical American patriot that wanted to just break away, okay? There was great debate and there were great pains taken to try to reconcile the broken relationship. All right, back to the text of the article. It says, on June 7, 1776, Richard Henry Lee, of whom Robert E. Lee, the famous Confederate general, is a descendant of, passed a motion to declare independence. Other members of Congress were amendable, but thought some colonies were not quite ready. However, Congress did form a committee to draft a declaration of independence and assign this duty to Thomas Jefferson. Here's something kind of interesting. It says Ben Franklin and John Adams reviewed Jefferson's draft. They preserved its original form, but struck passages likely to meet controversy and skepticism. Most notably, passages blaming King George III for the transatlantic slave trade and blaming the British people rather than their government. The committee presented the final draft before Congress on June 28, 1776, and Congress adopted the final text of the Declaration of Independence on July 4th. I'd just like to say something really quick. You know, the 1619 Project and this whole idea of America was built because of slavery or for slavery, like the whole point of the United States is to be a slave country. Why would Thomas Jefferson, a slave owner, why would he try to put the 
the black mark or the blame on slavery on the king if it wasn't a bad thing. Do you see what I'm trying to say here? Why would Thomas Jefferson try to slip in that transatlantic slave trade and put it at the feet of King George III? Instead, it should say something like, we want to continue the slave trade, and because of this, we want to get rid of the king and do it the way we want to do it. So I, th- I find that interesting that this really, uh, that fact, that historical fact really kind of puts a stake in the heart of this 1619th thesis that somehow America was founded uh, specifically on slavery and to preserve slavery. All right, so let's get to the text. It says, When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal stations to which laws of nature and nature's God entitled them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impale them to separate. So I often focus on this word dissolve, and most of the kids, you know, one thing that a lot of students don't realize is when they choose a definition, uh, some words have different meanings depending on the context. So sometimes the kids, for dissolve, they'll do the scientific uh, definition where, you know, a solid can dissolve into a liquid or something like that, which is not necessarily wrong, right? Dissolve means to get rid of, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to go away, right? And so we're dissolving our political bands, and a band is a relationship. And... I like what it says here, assuming the powers of the earth, the separate and equal station, right? So already we've got the language that we're going to see in the Constitution many years later of this separate but equal, right? Things can be separate, uh, but they can also be equal at the same time. And this first paragraph, Jefferson's really saying, look, we're going to give you a detailed, because everyone deserves a detailed reason for why we are dissolving our political relationship. All right, here comes the thesis statement that we all know. It says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Self-evident, what does that mean? Self-evident means you can look at it, you can read it, and you can understand that it's true. It is obvious. When you think of self-evident, it is obvious. There is no need to explain it. That all men are created equal. Now, I have to admit, you know, I'm a little slow on the wokeness train. I'm just, when I grew up, I always assumed that when the word men was in this document, he was was referring to mankind. All mankind, therefore all people are. Are equal. Now, in his context, in Jefferson's historical context, he might have meant men, males, okay? But we know that men can be everyone. Just like uh, in, in Spanish, I could say my amigos, and in that word amigos, there could be women and men. I have women friends and men friends, right? If I had a 
friendship of just with a bunch of girls, a bunch of women, those would be the amigas, right? So man, men, mankind, this has referred to everyone. It's just a recent phenomenon that we now have to delineate and say male, female, him, her, blah, blah, blah. So it's self-evident, boys and girls, it's self-evident that we are created equal. Everybody's equal. Doesn't matter what color you are. Doesn't matter how rich you are. Doesn't matter how poor you are. All right. And now we're going to get into some really tricky language, especially for those of us who are uh, maybe a little bit agnostic or atheist. You're endowed by the creator. What does endowed mean? That means you're given something. You might have heard the endowment for the arts, right? That is a group of people that that fundraise, that give you money, right? Endowment is you're given something. So we're endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. Okay, let's talk about creator. Obviously, that's God. Now, many of these men were Christians. Many of these men, some were deists, which means they were uh you know, morality-wise, they were kind of into the Christian ethic, but maybe spiritually or theologically, they didn't really know how the God thing really worked, okay? Uh, some were probably agnostic, but they all knew, and this is what I'm going to preach, they all knew that your rights don't come from the government. And this is something we have to believe, boys and girls. If you believe that your rights come from something else that is not above the human system, then that means whatever the human system is, they can control you. The president has the power to take away your rights because the president was the one who gave you your rights. So even if you're not a Christian today, even if you're not a believer, you should uh, subscribe to the philosophy that your rights have to come from somewhere greater than just the human system that you're born under. And this word inalienable, right? You can say unalienable. You can use a U or you can use an I. I looked it up one day. It's the same word, right? I kind of say inalienable rights, right? This means these rights cannot be taken away, period, dot. You are given these rights by something greater than a human government. And because of that, they're yours. And because of that, any time a government, democratic government, socialist government, a monarchy, doesn't matter. Anytime a government takes these away from you, they are in violation of a greater law because these rights are inalienable. Jefferson goes on to say that among these rights, so he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not going to spell out all of them, okay? He's not going to spell out all of them, and he doesn't have to, because if you remember, it is self-evident which rights are yours. But anyway, he says, among these, so the big three are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, And again, this is straight out of John Locke. I mean, it's almost plagiarism because John Locke's big three were life, liberty, and property. So let's talk about these. Life. You guys, the Declaration of Independence, our founding document, is a life-supporting, a life-affirming, a pro-life document. You cannot have liberty 
without life. You cannot have any of these inalienable rights that we are talking about if you are not alive to enjoy them. Life is your very first inalienable right. You are given life. Well, clearly this, uh, this violates some of our modern sensibilities, some of our cultural sensibilities today, right? Are we a life-affirming culture today? Are we a life-affirming people? Because our, our founding document is. What does liberty mean? Liberty means freedom. It means you can come and go. You can do what you wish. You don't have to answer to anyone. If you are not hurting anyone, if you are not violating another person's rights, then you are free to do as you wish. And now today we have this whole culture of, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, let the government harass you. No! I have liberty. I can do whatever I want and I don't have to answer to anyone. And this is the main thesis and the main crux of the Fourth Amendment. This, the government has to give probable cause to look through my things. They have to have probable cause to stop me in the street and and harass me. The government has to give reason for why they are stopping me. I don't have to do anything. I'm a sovereign citizen. I am a sovereign human being endowed with liberty from birth. And finally, the uh, last of the big three is the pursuit of happiness, uh, which, again, they took from John Locke, but it seems like they uh, twisted it up a little bit. John Locke said, life, liberty, and property. So this pursuit of happiness is going to be related to property. Uh, private property, guys, is very important. When you work for something, when you, when you labor over something and build something, it is yours. You know, in the Three Treatise of Government, John Locke says, you know, he talks about Adam and Eve and he kind of uses them as an example. And he says, whoever goes out and collects the fruit, right? The nuts on the ground, the walnuts or the whatever. Whoever goes and collects that stuff, it's theirs. Whoever builds the house, builds the shelter, it's theirs. Okay, why? Because they put their blood, sweat, and tears in it. And we need to be a culture and a nation that upholds private property, intellectual property. These things that people put their energies into, they should be able to reap the benefits and the rewards. And finally, I would say that uh, pursuit of happiness also means to chart your own course. That's what I. That's how I always present it in class. The, the pursuit of happiness is you have the freedom and the right, the self-evident right, to do what you find makes you happy in life. If you want to go be a doctor, go be a doctor. If you want to go, you know, uh, be a famous movie star, you go do that. You have a God-given right to find your passions and to find where you fit in in society and do the things that you think are going to make you happy. All right, I want to read a little more here. So after he gives the big three, he says that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it. That is straight out of John Locke. John Locke again said, government is there to 
protect your rights. And if the government becomes too tyrannical or it doesn't, uh, it, you know, it becomes oppressive in some way, the right of the people to overturn that government and start a new one, that's straight out of John Locke. And so J- Jefferson is pulling straight out of that. But notice it says that governments, well, first of all, it says to secure these rights, government. So government isn't this institution that's supposed to be about programs. Government isn't this institution that's supposed to be about wealth distribution. Government is supposed to take those rights that we all know are self-evident and secure them. In other words, defend them. In other words, do not trample on them. That is what a government does, ladies and gentlemen. You know, in the, in the Navy and in, in the Marine Corps, to secure something means put it away, make sure it's safe, make sure it's not going to go anywhere, right? So let's use that definition. Securing rights, protecting them, putting them away. They're not going to move. They're not going to be shaken. We're not going to lose them. Securing them. It says governments are instituted among men. So people get to decide how to make this government That is going to do what we just said, secure the rights. And finally, we know this is probably straight out of the all the turmoil that the colonists were were experiencing with the crown in Great Britain. It says, uh, you know, deriving instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Just powers. What is when you're just when something is just? It means it's just right. It means it's perfect. It's not oppressive. It's not lackadaisical. It is right and good and just. So government powers, ladies and gentlemen, should be just. In other words, practical and fair. Outside of that, the government should be leaving us alone. It shouldn't be regulating our light bulbs. It shouldn't be regulating our health. It shouldn't be regulating our cars. Those are not just powers. Don't you think sovereign, grown, mature adults can take care of those things themselves? And at the very least, take care of it at the local state level? But I digress. And finally, Jefferson says, if the government becomes destructive to these ends of securing the rights and maintaining just powers, that is the right of the people to alter, which means change, or abolish which means completely get rid of. So we have the right to completely get rid of things if they're not working. And that's exactly what Jefferson is doing in this letter. He's saying, that's what we're doing, King George. We are getting rid of you. You're not listening to us. You're being destructive. You're trampling on our God-given natural rights. So we are saying, adios amigos, we're out. Or as my high school kids would say, deuces, we out. Here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you like this podcast, please give me a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to email me, email me at ProfessorLiberty1776 at gmail.com. Until next time, go throughout the land and proclaim liberty. See you next time.